Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. My name is Blake Lambert-Hack, and this season I will be covering deaths and hauntings in the town of Salem, Massachusetts, with a different special guest every week. And tonight I am joined by a financial advisor, Ben Gray. Hey, Blake. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for inviting me. This was fun. Thank you so much for doing this. A couple questions. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. Point blank. Cool. How would you describe a ghost? Ooh, uh, I've never been asked that before. Yeah. Uh, my best guess, and obviously this is all guessing, but my best guess would be that a ghost would be um, either a spiritual rem- like remainder, okay, or uh, maybe you know like a metaphysical um, shadow or like a memory or an imprint of someone who's died. That's fair. I agree. Do you know much about Salem, Massachusetts? I know that they're famous for their witch trials, yes. Fair. Yeah. I think that's the common... Probably the best thing you can yeah. know about Salem. And after that, it's like, it's a nice little coastal town. <laughs> exactly, like, yes. That's all that matters. Well, like, so earlier in the season, I covered Salem witch trials extensively. Yes. And now I want to do more unknown crimes okay. in Salem. So tonight we're going to be talking about the 1911 murder of Captain Charles Wyman, 41 years after my last episode, so who, which was also about a captain, but don't get those mixed up if you're listening. This is about Captain Charles Wyman. And before we jump in, I'm just going to say, I've never learned so much about ships (laughs) and boat lingo until researching this crime. I'm like... Oh, we're in. I like can go. Was that Bravo show where they like are all on a ship or a yacht and they have to? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I don't have Bravo. I neither do I. It's on <laughs> at the gym. So it's one of those things. They're on a like a yacht and they like it's about their lives living on a yacht. Now after researching this, I feel like I could do that maybe. But is there? But I mean, knowing the lingo, <laughs> they're actually yeah, living it's the on same. A, I'm sure that's it. That's all that it takes. Yes. <laughs> So this story doesn't start in Salem, but it does finish in Salem. So that's a little different from the last stories. But the mystery begins aboard the ship Glendower on June 9th, 1911. The coal barge was on its way to Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is about 20, 25 miles north of Salem at about 8 p.m., When the ship was approaching port, they signaled for the leading tugboat to change course, which is never a good sign. Usually when a barge is like signaling for help, it's a serious matter. So the tugboat's captain, Captain Camp, pulled along the side of the Glendower to see what was wrong. And when Captain Camp yelled out to the crew of the Glendower, the cook responded with, quote, the captain is dead, unquote. So that's where it starts. We got the ship heading from, uh, I believe, Boston or something like that to Newburyport. Tugboat, three barge ships. It's pulling. 
and one of the barge ship's captain is dead. And nobody knows how. So okay. The Glendower was a coal barge. It was built in uh, 1894, so by 1911 the barge had had a successful run of 17 years. And I don't want to go too in-depth about 1900s coal barges. <laughs> However, for like a mental image of what it looks like, how it functions and stuff like that, they were basically like long flat ships with steering in the back and living quarters also in the back of the ship. So all the coal was in the front. Right. Exactly. And uh, I know starboard is on the right. Port is on the left. Yeah. Is aft the front or is that the rear? That's a good question. I'm drawing a blank now. You had, I was all, I was all in on starboard and, uh, port. And the only reason I can remember starboard is on the right because there's two R's in starboard. Oh. Starboard? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm pronouncing it as a real (laughs) non-boater when I say starboard. Uh. But is, I don't remember what the the fourth position though. Starboard, port, aft. Stern stern. is in the back, yeah. Stern's in the back. So aft is at the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow, look at you. You're going to be a captain one day. Not a chance. No. And you've done theater, so you can tell me, is stage right standing on the stage looking at the audience to the right? Yeah. Okay. Because it's the same thing in baseball that left field is from the batter's perspective on the Mm. left. Mm -hmm. But if you're playing left field... You're on the far right side of the field. It's all very confusing. Very confusing. <laughs> Hopefully, like, the nice thing about this story is that none of that... This makes... isn't significant information. No, okay. not. <laughs> <laughs> I've wasted all... a lot of mental energy on this then. <laughs> all, that, all that's important is that, like, the living quarters are very small. Yes. It's in the back of the boat. Yeah. The steering's on the upper deck. Everything else is below. There's an engine room. There's, I think, four. There's the captain's room cabin and then there's three other cabins for the other shipmates and then there's like the kitchen slash dining area how many crew members on this barge there's only four there's the captain and then three crew members and and the cook is one of them right so captain cook two crew members i guess you could say on the barge you can steer the ship but they're always pulled by tugboats uh, so I'm assuming, and I couldn't really find too much about this, I'm assuming all three barges that were connected were all had their own captain, all had their own crew, and then you had the tugboat who also had its captain. I don't understand any of that, or why that, why there's so many people <laughs> to pull three barges full of coal. However, that's what I got out of it. So, Again, I'll post photos on Instagram and like social media and stuff for anybody who's interested. But the United States in 1905 was by far the top producer of coal with over 350 million tons each year. So fun fact. (laughs) That's the information that I will never need to know for the rest of my life. This is true, but but it's going to hang in there. Right, exactly. And I imagine the U.S. was the number one producer of coal for a long time, probably up until China more recently. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. The Glendower was one of three barges, as I was saying, and they were all connected by a thick rope. All three barges were pulled by the tugboat Monacacy. And Captain Camp was the captain of Monacacy. The captain of Glendower was Charles Wyman, the one who was dead. <laughs> and aboard the Glendower at the time of the Captain Charles Wyman's death was Cook William de Graff 
and crewmen Antonio Priskich and William Nilsson. So those are our players in this story. And we don't have a ton of information about the seamen's lives before Captain Wyman's death. Again, it's 1911. There's not a ton of, you know, if it wasn't a significant event, your life wasn't really written up. Correct. Written down. You're not going to make it in the history books. Exactly. <laughs> but as far as anyone could tell, all the men were like hardworking, respected amongst crews, uh, those in the shipping business. But Charles Wyman was 52 years old at the time of his death. I don't have the ages of the other men, but they're probably younger. <laughs> but it was noted that the cook, William DeGraff, was a taller built man with a hunchback. Hmm. When Captain Camp find out Captain Wyman was dead, he pressed the issue. You know, he's standing on his tugboat yelling at the barge, and he's like, what do you mean he said? And William DeGraff responded, quote, he took a rest this noon at 12, and when he went to call... And when we went to call him around five o'clock, well, he was dead. That's all. We found him dead. Unquote. So if you're in Captain Camp's shoes, what are your like initial thoughts? You're standing looking at this barge and there's people telling you that their captain's dead, but they don't know how. I mean, I imagine... I imagine that they would not have jumped immediately to foul play. Um, because... There's a lot of reasons that you could die in your sleep. And even though, I mean, in 1911, yeah. 52 wasn't ancient. You certainly could be living into your 70s, 80s, even your 90s yeah. in that time. Um, but they didn't have modern, modern medicine. And right. so dying suddenly from a heart attack or a stroke or from terrible life conditions, living on a barge that's hauling coal. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of reasons that he could just <laughs> not wake up from a nap. Very much so. And I think that was exactly what Captain Camp's sentiments were. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but... These things happen. These things happen, yes. exactly. So, not knowing how Captain Wyman died, Captain Camp had the crew of Glendower and the other two bargers, barges drop their anchors so he could kind of like figure out what was going on. And Captain Camp inquired more about Captain Wyman's death, but to Graf, the cook, didn't have much to add. The only information Camp could gather was that Wyman was found dead in his cabin in blood-soaked sheets. Ooh, okay. So that's all he got out of the crew members. Um, DeGraff asked Camp aboard uh, to take a look for himself, but Camp felt something was off and didn't really feel comfortable dealing with this alone. So the four ships sailed to Boston, where Camp went ashore to file a report with the police and coroner. And at dawn, the medical examiner, accompanied by policemen, made their way to the Glendower. So we still don't know what's going on. We just know we have somebody dead in blood-soaked sheets. So DeGraff was the first to meet the authorities and led them to the captain's quarters, where they found him face down in his bed, holding a hammer. Hmm. Captain Wyman wrapped, was wrapped in a blood-soaked blanket. And when the examiner looked closer, he found that Wyman's head was repeatedly bashed in. So now it's like... <laughs> now we're leaning more towards foul play. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, he's holding a hammer. There's no way you're doing that to yourself. That's like weird to me to think that like... I don't think you physically can 
attack yourself like that, like bash your head in. Especially multiple wounds, I imagine, would right. be exceptionally difficult. Right, exactly. Like, if you're going to die of suicide, like, a gun and stuff like that is quick and easy and you don't think about it, but to continually bash yourself, yeah. it's, like, not... That's not a thing. No, I would, <laughs> I would be... Yeah, that would make the probably the least amount of sense right. to be de- that it would be death by suicide. Right. Unless it was a rather horrific uh, episode of psychosis. Fair. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, yeah, that's jumping to some wild conclusions. (laughs) Absolutely. And, no, again, nobody said that he had those kinds of mental issues. So, So at first, like you were saying, Camp suspected that Wyman had died of natural causes, like a stroke, heart attack. He even thought maybe suicide, but after viewing the body, it was very clear that Captain Wyman was murdered. So immediately after viewing the crime scene, the three men were individually questioned. So DeGraff, Nilsson, and Priskich, the three men on board. And all three denied knowing anything about the captain's murder. Because of the small size of the barge, they also denied the possibility of a stowaway. So that was first kind of what the police were saying. They're like, well, do you think a stowaway could be on board or had gotten on board earlier and then was revenge or whatever yeah but they were like we didn't see anybody we didn't hear anything and it's such a small barge it's they would have noticed and so they all three of them denied a stowaway they would have been seen like i was saying they would have been seen by someone and after searching the barge the police didn't find any clues of a stowaway either did any of the crew members make any reference to hearing a struggle Mm. if it's that small of a barge right no but we'll get into something one of them did here. Okay. So the only thing that stood out was that the hammer Captain Wyman was holding was completely absent of blood, causing the medical examiner to believe it was placed there after he was murdered. Without anything left to do, the three crewmen were placed under arrest and brought ashore. DeGraff, Priskich, and Nelson faced a Boston grand jury where they were questioned about the timeline of events leading up to the discovery of Wyman's body. So it's a whodunit case. Okay. You know, nobody knows anything. There's no clear motive. There's no blood anywhere. Other than in the sheets. Other than, yeah, other than in the bed of him. So my initial thoughts are Boston Grand Jury would be a great band name. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And two, uh, the absence of blood on the hammer itself. Yeah is so far the spookiest thing yeah about the story for sure because it's either it wasn't used or it was used and then cleaned yes both not great options and i'm less comfortable with it being cleaned afterward like that (laughs) seems that's a level of what were you thinking (laughs) oh yeah exactly they're trying to frame something okay so i'm gonna walk through what the uh men said they're timeline of events got it so at 11 o'clock in the afternoon on june 9th the cook de graf rang the meal bell it was custom for three men to eat at once while the fourth steered the barge when de graf rang the bell nilson was at the wheel when captain wyman arrived to eat de graf went up and took nilson's spot at the wheel so he could eat with the captain Priskich was with Nilsson when DeGraff took over, and the two men went below and ate with the captain around 11. So they're all eating, and then DeGraff the cook is at the wheel. 
Shortly before noon, Wyman returned to his cabin, and that was the last anyone admitted to seeing the captain, was just before noon, after everybody had ate lunch. After eating, Nilsson took over the wheel once again, while Priskich headed to the engine room, and DeGraff headed below deck to clean up lunch. Around 1.30, Nilsson claims to hear a groan or a cry, but doesn't know where it came from, so he kind of puts it out of mind. At 2, Priskich takes his turn steering the barge. Nilsson heads to his bunker to rest a bit, but shortly after joins Priskich back at the wheel. They were together until 4.45 when the dinner bell rang. DeGraff showed up to take the wheel while Nilsson and Priskich headed below to eat. However, this time, Captain Wyman doesn't join the seamen for supper. The two waited a bit to eat, thinking that the captain was just running a bit late. But after a while, the men go to question DeGraff if he had seen the captain. DeGraff told the men to go ahead and eat and that the captain would be along eventually. Priskich didn't feel comfortable with that, so he knocked on the captain's door to his cabin but he didn't get a response. The two men went ahead and ate, but afterwards shared their concern with DeGraff. DeGraff didn't seem too worried about it, but he did say he would cover the captain's turn at the wheel. Not wanting to disrupt the captain if he was sleeping, the men went on with their chores. Priskich checked out the engine, DeGraff cleaned up dinner, and Nilsson watched the wheel. And around 6.30 p.m., Priskich returned to the wheelhouse and insisted that they break into the captain's cabin to check on him, where they, of course, found him dead. So they found him dead at around 6.30 p.m. And I don't know the exact layout of this barge. I like looked all over the place. I couldn't find it. But again, it's not very big. The articles I read said that the captain's and cook's cabins were next to each other and that the other two crewmen had cabins next to each other on the other side of the barge. And it was also stated that there was no way to go to the engine room without being seen by anybody. And I don't know where the kitchen was in relationship to the caverns or the engine room. So that's kind of, that's what's hard about trying to figure some of this out is that we don't have visuals or like pictures of where everything's located and stuff. But um, if we look back, there's a couple things that stick out to me. Like, why did they wait from 6.30 to 8 to notify the tugboat (laughs) that their captain was dead? You know, it's an hour and a half of doing what? Yes. Uh, Why doesn't the hammer have any blood on it? And if that's not the murder weapon, what is the murder weapon? Again, no blood was found anywhere on the crew's clothing, nor the rest of the barge either. So that's also super suspicious. It's basically just on the bed. Yes. And the coroner indi- had indicated that it was head trauma yes. that killed the captain. Yes. Okay. And the hammer was in the hands of the captain. Yes. It wasn't next to him. It was literally, he grasped it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's really creepy. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so with all of that, who's your suspect? <laughs> I mean, the cook would be a good suspect because he's likely the, from a class system, mm-hmm. the lowest rung. Um, so we usually try and go with the lowest class people first. Fair. Uh, you, uh, one of the crew members was Antonio. Yeah. So 
he might be either a person of color or an immigrant. So he'd be the next most likely suspect. And then the third crew member sounded more English to me. So he certainly couldn't have done it because English people don't commit crimes. Right. Yes. Um, I don't, I mean, there's not a clear, there's no motive that has been presented. Right. Uh, the weirdness of the death. Yes. Makes very little sense. The fact that on a tiny bar, tiny living quarters of a barge, none of the three indicated hearing a struggle. Right. Um, I guess the most likely scenario to me would be that all three of them were co-conspirators. Right. Uh, a la Orient Express. Yeah, exactly. That'd be my best guess. I'm with you. Because, okay, so, and we'll get into this in just a second, but a lot of the articles I read or just what happened in general, it was the cook did it, the cook did it, the cook did it. Yeah. Um, Nilsson was at the, the, in the wheelhouse 90% of the time, so he couldn't have possibly done it, you know, that kind of thing. But it's like, looking at everything, it's all three of them, like, no, there's no blood anywhere. Yeah. They waited an hour and a half before they warned anybody. Like, it's just like, <laughs> co-conspirators is my guess as well. I'm with you on that. So, after the grand jury, the only man to be tried was Cook, William DeGraff. Nielsen and Priskich testified against DeGraff, claiming that DeGraff was reluctant to break into the cabin's room and to notify the tugboat. Mm. They also claimed that DeGraff said, quote, He died long ago, for I took his hand like this, holding his left wrist with his right hand. And they were also each other's alibis. Priskich and Nilsson were each other's alibis. They knew each other's whereabouts, but didn't always know the cook's whereabouts. Right. Okay. Though, again, Priskich was in the engine room one or two times. You know, Nilsson went to his cabin to sleep, you know, for a bit. So there were a couple times where they weren't together. There's but, gaps, yeah. Right. Majority of the time they were together. Okay. At least they're claiming they were together. Right. DeGraff eventually took the stand, but his testimony didn't add anything. Uh, the defense was that a stowaway somehow climbed aboard, slaughtered the captain, jumped overboard, and swam to shore without being seen or heard. That was the defense. I'm not buying it, but <laughs> <laughs> of course the prosecution said DeGraff was the only one who had the means to kill the captain, and the only one who knew the captain's habits so he would be able to pull it off, is what they're saying. That was the prosecution's huh, okay. side of it. But after hearing all the evidence, the jury came back with a not guilty verdict. The prosecution failed to give a motive for the murder. They didn't have a murder weapon or much of any evidence. Yeah, I mean, as far as reasonable doubt is concerned, yeah. this, is, this case is nothing but reasonable doubt. Exactly, for sure. And... It was the two crewmen's word against DeGraff's. Right. Like, that's all it was. Uh, and neither crewman was willing to testify that they witnessed the murder. Right. They couldn't attest to a motive. Yep. Yeah. The interesting thing is that all of their stories aligned. Mm -hmm. They all said what each other was doing at what given time. And so they all, like, you know, you're trying to, when you're interviewing someone, you're trying to catch them in a lie. Right. But the weird thing is like all three of them separately all said the same thing. Interesting. But none of them caught to a murder. Right. So that's why I also, it's like the three of them are in on it together. Yes. But again, and we they spent an hour and a half cleaning up. 
And clarifying their story. Yeah. Yes. We still don't have a motive, though. Right. And that's the hardest part. So, uh... I guess, I mean, the best motive I could probably think of is who hasn't dreamed of murdering your boss with your co-workers? <laughs> it's the whole premise of Horrible Bosses. <laughs> it really is, yes. There's been two movies, at least two movies about this. Exactly. Yes. No, for sure. Uh, was 9 to 5, do they do that in there, too? I've never seen 9 to 5. Office space, they don't murder a boss, but they do kill a copier. Hmm. So, which is pretty close. It, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so after the trial, DeGraff disappeared. He, it's believed he changed his name and went on working at sea, but the rest of his life is much as much a mystery as the beginning of his life. Not that, a historically significant person. No. And... The only thing written about him is this murder. Hmm. So it's interesting. I don't know. That being said, I don't want to... I don't know too much more about the other men either. Uh, I believe the tugboat went on to fight in World War... Uh, the First World War. Yep. And the Glendower became scrap metal or like... Like, I don't know when it was retired, so I don't want to call it scrap metal, but it was eventually just moved on no longer in use as right. a barge yeah exactly so there of course are some legends and folklore surrounding this murder especially because no one was convicted of the crime so it's said that de confessed to some seamen years later that he killed wyman because of how wyman treated him years before huh. so wyman apparently attacked de on a ship that they were working on previously like late 1800s which is why DeGraff ended up with a hunchback and DeGraff then waited until Wyman forgot about the incident or didn't recognize him or whatever the case may be and then hired him on this ship a month before the murder and then took his revenge hmm. of course this is all like wild speculation because right. <laughs> you can't prove any of it but um I think that's that's people's idea if DeGraff is the one who did it. However, I still think all three of them are in it together somehow. I just don't know why. <laughs> yeah, what's the other two motivation? Yeah. Unless the um, captain was just... An ass. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And back then, I could see it. 1911, oh, yeah. captains were not the nicest people in the world. No, it didn't have to be. No, exactly. <laughs> the beauty of a class system. You can anyone who's below you, you can treat them however you want. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so before we take a quick break, I wanted to add that on May sixth, nineteen oh five, six years earlier, the Glendower barge witnessed its first death. So the captain was not the first death that the barge was involved with. Interesting. The barge was the last in a group of three barges being pulled by the tugboat Patience. Each barge was connected by a 200-foot rope. And around 1 a.m., the fog in the Boston area grew thick. It made it extremely hard to see. So as the barges were being transported inland, a passenger steamer was on its way to New York City from Boston. And the steamer was called Arancis. And it sailed between the second and third barge without seeing the ships or rope connecting the two ships. And so 
the third barge, being the Glendower, ran into the passenger steamer because the fog was the fog was so thick, and the Aransas sank, killing one person on board. Hmm. Um, the Glendower escaped any kind of damage at all, but it did claim the life of a 25-year-old server and a field. And I believe the steamer's still in the bottom of the bay, and you can, like, dive for fun. Oh, interesting. And, like, go check, check it, it out. out. Yeah. Mm. Take home whatever you want, or whatever you find. <laughs> whatever you can pry off of there. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, so I just think it's interesting that this barge has seen more than one, one death. death. Yes. But, uh... We're gonna... It was responsible for a death, actually. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So... You know, you could get into curses or whatever you exactly. want to do. But <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with some hauntings. We are back, and as I mentioned earlier, the season is about Salem, but the captain died while sailing. However, after his murder, I couldn't find much that specified what happened to the ship, how long it was used as a barge, etc. I do know that after its use, the barge was used to construct the second floor of a building in Salem. Um, so it was built by Sea Captain Herbert Miller at Hawthorne Cove Marina. And during the summer, the marina hosts tons of ships. And, uh, of course, over winter, it's home to a bunch of winterized ships. But uh, the two-story building is private property. And um, I think what it is is just like a warehouse to store ships or parts of ships and things like that. And then at one point the person who owned it hoisted up a barge to use as the second floor. Oh, interesting. And then he ended up living on the barge over the summer and stuff like that when he wasn't on, like, at sea. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So that's my gist of it. That's that's as much as I could figure out from reading what I was reading. This is all in the 80s. He hoisted it up. I, I'm assuming he gutted it and made it into an apartment. But as he moved into the barge, he heard a raspy, gurgling voice. He had no idea where it came from, but then it turned into a man yelling, quote, get out of here, hmm. unquote. And the owner froze, as you do, and became extremely anxious. There wasn't anyone else in the room. Uh, this wasn't the only person who heard a voice coming from an invisible force yelling the same words, get out of here. It was a man surveying the land and the building. And whenever someone walks the barge or in that area, they hear grunting, moaning, and those infamous words, get out of here. Hmm. Um the owner and friends truly believe the building is haunted by Captain Wyman, especially when they did some research on the barge and found out that Nilsson testified. In Depending on what you read, Nilsson testified that he heard Wyman yell, get out of here, moments before his death. Huh. So 
it's not everything that like not every article i read about it claimed that they just said nilson heard some kind of groan or whatever but then others were like no he heard someone scream get out of here hmm. would you visit or take a trip on that ship oh absolutely yeah oh yeah <laughs> on any ghost ship i hear the queen mary's haunted i've heard that too yeah uh, yeah, I I mean, my belief in ghosts and spirits and the supernatural doesn't translate to a fear of those things as much Fair. as, like, a fascination. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess it's partly that I'm not confident that something that is metaphysical can affect the physical. Okay. So, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Have you ever experienced anything paranormal? Uh, I don't know if I would refer to it as paranormal. I mean, spiritual, I guess, yes. Okay, But fair. Uh, metaphysical, not explainable through um, natural means. Right. So I guess, yeah, that would be supernatural. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any specific examples or just in general? Just, just in like, general. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my grandparents, because one of the older episodes we talk about, like, like a ghost or my friend I was talking to last week, we were talking about he sees his dog mm. every so often. His, that passed away a while ago. And my grandparents had a dog, and she'd passed away when she was, like, 18. So wow. they were, like, uh, Westy. Okay. Her name was Sugar. But, like, right after she passed away, my grandpa would hear, like, like the bell ring yeah. on her collar and stuff like that and things like that, which... It's interesting. I think, like, it goes back to what you were saying. Originally, it's a memory yeah. of, I guess, an animal, but it could be a human as well. Yeah, like but, an echo. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing this and joining me. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, y'all can follow Haunted Hometowns on social media for ha- uh, for photos related to each episode, guest info, and upcoming news. Please subscribe, rate, and share the podcast so I can keep bringing you all crime and ghosts. And email me your ghost stories at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be a pentagram carved in the wood under your bed to the snowman you built chasing you with a chainsaw. Let me know. And uh, again, thanks for joining me. I will be back next week with another case because everyone loves a ghost story. theme song is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at for boys like me. That's F-O-R boys like me. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz M-U-N-O-Z I got my information from Joyline Steamer article by Peter L. Reagan. Hudson River Maritime Museum. Repsite.eu Murder at Sea, the Glendower Mystery Blog, and Wicked Salem by Sam Baltrusis.